The following Downstage Center program was originally broadcast in October 2007. Welcome to Downstage Center, a presentation of XM Satellite Radio and the American Theatre Wing. I'm John von Susten, Program Director of XM28 on Broadway. And I'm Howard Sherman, Executive Director of the American Theatre Wing. Today we welcome Kristen Johnston. Hi, Kristen. How are Hi, you? Hey, good. Very happy to be here. I want to give a, a little bit of your, your, your resume, so to mm-hmm. speak, before we get started. Please Television do. audiences certainly know you from your work on Third Rock for the Sun, where you from played... From the Sun, yeah. Right, where you Third played... Rock the Sun, yeah. Where you played Sally, the, yes. the, the daughter, Sally Solomon. Mm-hmm. Two Emmy Awards for that. I did. Uh, movie work. That happens. <laughs> movie work opposite Mike Myers and Austin Powers, a spy who shagged me. Uh-huh. Uh, Wilma Flintstone and Universal's Flintstones in Viva Rock. Recently, um, with um, uh, Drew Barrymore playing her sister, I guess, and Hugh Grant in music and lyrics. But it's really your stage work we want to talk about. Yeah. Currently, you're appearing at the Atlantic Theater Company here in New York mm-hmm. in a show called Scarcity. Other work that you've done for the Atlantic over roughly a 20-year period, I guess. Mm-hmm. Shows include Overruled, As You Like It, Portrait of a Woman, Rosemary for Remembrance, Five Very Live, and Atlantic's production of The Lights at Lincoln Center, for which you got a Drama Desk uh, nomination. Other shows include on Broadway... The Women for the Roundabout, Twelfth Night, Much Ado About Nothing, Skin of Our Teeth, all for Public Theater's Shakespeare Festival. Now that we're out of time on the show, uh, <laughs> all those credits. Well, you forgot the new groups, uh, the Aunt Dan and Lemon. Mm-hmm. Uh, did you, or did, did I just not hear it? Uh, mm-hmm. I did Aunt Dan and Lemon with the new group, which is a, is a very exciting. And I've done Baltimore Waltz, a bunch of other theater that right. and we, we haven't talk gotten about to all yet. That. Okay, just letting you know. But let's talk about not the, to brag. The, the current show, Scarcity. Yes, you play a woman named Martha mm-hmm. who has two children, a 11-year-old daughter and a teenage boy, both of whom want to be out of their present environment. They they live in poverty in western Massachusetts, Mm -hmm. and they want something else in their life. And you, as the mother, have an alcoholic husband and Mm -hmm. other relatives in the show. Yeah. Uh, Tell us a little bit more about the show. Well, uh, to say, I mean, they both, we are, it's what, uh, sort of a a segment of the world that I don't think is really touched upon in plays, that sort of real rural working class, day by day, check by check people um, now, you know, mm-hmm. now in America today. Basically, that, people living on food stamps. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm not a big reviewer reader. I d- never read them, but I sort of love Hilton Alls, the, the writer for The New Yorker, because I always find his... He always just says such fascinating things, and uh, I always learn from him, even if it's negative. It hasn't always been positive, but he sort of said it's uh, it's the kind of house that you drive by on your way to something, and you think, oh, the poor losers who live there. I'm totally paraphrasing him, but... um and so that's where we live. We're those people mm. um, that you see on your way to the highway, you know, to mm. get to somewhere else, uh, which I just thought was fascinating. And what a cool, weird world to explore that certainly I don't know. Uh, and then reading the play, the rawness of it, I've never read anything quite so like it. Um, just the sort of immediacy and rage and rawness of Lucy Thurber's writing uh, really captured me. But yes, it is about a family, uh, a mother and father played by myself and Michael T. Weiss wonderfully, who you can sort of tell were trapped like the kids. Mm-hmm. And it's, uh, want, you know, when you're broke, what are your choices? And sort of about that. How do you get out? What What do you sacrifice to 
Get out. And the difference being the parents are adults and they're trapped. The kids have aspirations. They're growing up. They want well, to get I out mean, of the world. Well, I mean, the question is, did we once? Do mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, we, I think, are a fast forward to what would happen to both of those kids if they choose not to fight. And they're both fighting still. But at one point, at some point, you perhaps give up hope that you can change. With John having read off credits like Much Ado About Nothing in Twelfth Night, how do you get into this character? What what took you, know, you the, into her? What takes me into her every night or what attracted me to the part? I'll take both of them. Okay. In whatever order you like. Well, it's interesting. You know, I don't I do nothing to get into her because and I've thought about it. The only thing I do is the second before I'm I go on stage for that very first scene with my little daughter is I run this sentence in my mind, which is, I'm about to lose my job. I'm about to lose my job. I'm about to lose my job. So I just, so the show opens with that kind of intensity. But I have found in any way trying to get somewhere to get into her is the wrong move because she is moment to moment to moment to moment. Um... So nothing is pre-planned. A lot of what you see on stage is very raw because it is raw. You know, there are certain little segments of the play that Lucy has allowed me to come up every night with what I want to say. Very few, like three of them. Um, but there's also just, I think, a rawness to the set and things dropping and things breaking. And it's it works better that way. So it's never good to think about Martha. It's just good to just land and do it. <laughs> so this wasn't a case of you suddenly said, oh, I know her, her I've met her well, somewhere before. Well, so that that's interesting because that's sort of a separate question yeah. because that is uh, why I took the part. Uh, initially, I, I said to my agent, I said, you know, you know, because the play was flawed, I felt. And I, I didn't quite, I don't really ever really, I, you know, I read Aunt Dan and Lemon and sort of was like, huh? I don't know. But, you know, there's something about the when you read it out loud her character the character that i was aunt dan i got her you know even though i didn't understand the politics and everything that wally was i still don't that wally was um talking about um but with martha i read the play and thought oh god i don't know this woman at all i mean it's the first part in my life i've ever played that i don't understand her like she you know she checks my groceries do you know what I mean? I don't mm-hmm. know her, but I even I know Beatrice and much ado. You know, like you can understand a girl like her. You know, I just related. And then anyway, to keep an endless story short, by about the th- and I kept asking the playwright before I took it because I always before I take a play because I know what blood and sweat and soul it takes. I always sit with the the writer director and really ask tons of questions and in this case I was just like why do you want me like why what do you think I can do I don't see it and they Lucy just was like I just don't know how to answer that that's you just I see it I see it and, and it by was, the and second it wasn't that you'd auditioned for they no, just no, no, called I did you not. and said I did not, the playwright yeah. thinks you're you're the person yeah exactly and uh, I thought oh god I don't know and so I and then well, you know sometimes you still have that doubt of like are they just casting me because I'm an Atlantic member or are they just casting me because third rock you know you want to make sure that the the artistic minds involved want you, you know? 
it's just the cost is too high for theater to do it for any other reason. Anyway, she she was like, I don't even know what you're talking about. And then, of course, by the second or third day, I was like, oh, my God, I totally understand this woman, even though I don't have children and I'm, uh, you know, I don't beat the children I don't have. And there are a lot of things that I don't I'm not broke. Um, but there are just elements of her passion and rage that I really understand. Well, Lucy Thurber grew up in rural Massachusetts, yeah, the western part of Massachusetts, exactly. the same area where the show was set. Uh-huh. Do, you think, do you think she knew people in real life oh. like this? Oh, that's all she knew. Uh-huh. I mean, that's all she knew. She is, she is this play. Uh-huh. I, I don't want to sort of go in. It's, it's her story to tell kind of who is she or, you know. Who she knows that is like that, but so might she have known somebody like you in real life? That's well, uh, that's think, why she I saw think you. Feasibly, she could have been re- the child, Rachel. Uh-huh. I mean, that's where I think it goes. But that would be again, and int- she is one of the great radio guests of all time. By the way, no, <laughs> I having a conversation with her about this play is one of the most exciting things. If you ever get the chance, she's uh-huh. an amazing speaker, and she could explain it better than I. But in other words, she's not. She was not in some nice suburban home looking at these people. Mm-hmm. These are her. This is her family or life, you know. Now, discussing the character with her, mm-hmm. is that something that you normally do with, with other other writers? Do you make it that chance? Oh, my God. That's uh-huh. the great gift of doing a new play. Uh-huh. Um, also, I did when I read the... I did think it was flawed and it needed some story... Uh, adjusting some dramaturgical work, which I certainly was not arrogant enough to think I. But I thought, well, God, I you know I hope she's willing. I wanted to get the sense from her that she was willing to work, and she was. And you know, you cast great actors, and you have well, hopefully, and then you have a living playwright there, and it turns into kind of this exciting workshop type thing. And it really was. I think we really helped her shape th- this play. I'd like to think so. And we should point out this is the, the premiere of the play. It's never yes. played elsewhere. I'd so. say it's Lucy's New York premiere. Mm. She's an amazing writer. You'll be hearing a lot about her in the future, I think. Really. You mentioned in your wondering about why they approached you, is it because I'm an Atlantic Company member? You right. are one of the, I believe, 40 members mm-hmm. currently is in the Atlantic. Now? That was wow. the count that I did Back quickly. in my day. <laughs> well, let's talk about your day because yeah. you have a long history with the Atlantic. I do, but, you know, also I took a long break from them. So, yeah, I mean, you know, my, my past with the Atlantic is a really interesting thing because it shaped, it, it saved me as an actress, really, because I was at NYU. You, I was at freshman year, and you know, one of those kids that come to New York, like, you know, I was the star of my high school shows. I was from Milwaukee. Oh, I'm just going to take the Big Apple by storm, you know. Uh, and and I got there, and I went to these classes, and you know, you're so overwhelmed, and there are three thousand students, and then New York City, and oh my God. Uh, and I was a fairly well traveled kid, but this was I was overwhelmed, and the first year and a half. Working, I was at uh, a studio because you know NYU separated into studios, and Atlantic is now one of the schools which now I teach at. But anyway, at that time, it, they were I was put into a very method kind of uh, approach. It was called Circle in the Square at that time. I don't think it exists anymore. And uh, boy, was I beaten down! And kind of everything I loved about acting was taken away, uh, I was told that I shouldn't do it by a couple teachers. That you shouldn't act? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Which, 
who gave them the right? I mean, it still makes me furious. Um, but it was fun to see a third rock poster in Times Square right near where I went to school. <laughs> and I was like, I wonder if any of those teachers are walking back. <laughs> anyway, um, so, so, so I was very much giving up hope, really. I honestly was and, uh, was thinking about maybe coming home to Milwaukee and doing something else or refiguring it out. And uh, one of my teachers at the actual school of NYU, where you go for other classes, I was taking some sort of writing class, and he's Stephen Schachter, who's a me- founding uh, member of the founders of, of the Atlantic. one of the founders. And he said, "You got to go up for the summer to Vermont, where they were just starting. I mean, it was like, you know, twelve Atlantic members, and then this fledgling. It was their first year school." And uh, we should tell people who are the. I mean, you mentioned Steve Schachter, right. but the other teachers at the well, time were quite esteemed. Uh, William H Macy uh, was my teacher, but we call him Bill, and his lovely wife Felicity Huffman. Uh, you might know her from that tiny show. I think it's I something don't know. about yeah. uh, Angry Housewives. <laughs> well, her career has <laughs> just gone to hell. So <laughs> poor thing. Um, that poor Oscar-nominated thing. Anyway, she um, she was one of my teachers. Uh, God, the list goes kind of on and was on. David Mamet, David Mamet, David Mamet yeah. was one of my teachers who insisted on calling me Dudette. I don't still don't. Dudette? Know. <laughs> He'd be like, Dudette. I don't oh. know. Uh, but wow, what a teacher that guy is. I mean, I you guess know, if he David would, Mamet calls you names, you're right? not doing so badly I'm not, in the at world. At least he's not saying, you know, <laughs> fuck at, right? Anyway, they told me I could drop the F-bomb on this show. So uh, anyway, so anyway, to, just to cut to an endless story, I, the minute I got up there, and started learning their technique, which is much more just uh, sort of no BS. You know, look at the script. How do you want to tell the story? How do you want to be honest? How to get what you want from the other person? I mean, just sort of simple back to basics. Uh, and And I felt so relieved. And that's when I started to actually flourish. So anyway, so then they made me a company member a couple years later. I ran props. I mean, I did costumes, props, hung lights, everything for them. And then they made me a company member, but they weren't really casting me at all. Because they had so many, they had Mary McCann and Felicity Huffman and this girl, Melissa Bruder, and they were these blondes. And so I was sort of the fourth blonde on the left, and I just couldn't get arrested with them, with my own theater company. And I happened to sort of become buddies one summer with Howard Corder, the playwright, and he wrote this play, The Lights, and he insisted that I do this part of Rose. No, Rose. Yeah. Well, well tell us about that show. And oh, your part. it's just, it still remains one of my great experiences of my life. I mean, it changed, it just gave me confidence that what I was doing, what my instincts were, which had been continually set, no, don't do that. No, don't do that. No, you're not. It's too much. You're too this. You're too that. That I was right and they were wrong because the mm. audience loved it. Well, who was the one that was saying no? Was that the NYU people? Was it? No, it was, yeah, it was teachers. Yes, teachers? yes, before teachers. Atlantic. I just uh-huh. sort of was getting so insecure. Like, you start, you know, I don't know if you can learn to act at an acting school. I think you can learn how to be an actor. You know what I mean? You can do lots of scripts and start becoming familiar with performing and working with one another. But the actual gift of it, I don't know. I mean, it has, so. has to be inside you and then somebody brings it out. 
Well, no, or, or, or it's just there. Uh, I mean, I guess what I'm saying is I teach at NYU now. Well, should I finish the Atlantic thing just so that's done? Wherever you want to go. <laughs> oh, my God. Boy, I can babble, can't I? Anyway, so the Atlantic thing, uh, I then, uh, I was in the lights, which was amazing for me. Uh, it was my first experience with critics, which is don't read them ever. Uh, it was Frank Rich's last or one of his very last reviews. In, in the New York Times. Yes. And I I happened to be so green and I read it. Um but it it was you know and it was the, he hated it so it was that was a weird experience to be judged on that level you know I just had never experienced it and then decided not to read the Times anymore <laughs> which has served me to this day um, you know for for reviews but anyway uh, so uh, after the lights I started working a lot in theater. And just off-Broadway stuff. And this guy, who was one of the development guys for Carsey Werner, had happened to see the lights. And he said, oh, we're developing this show with John Lithgow. It's about aliens. And I was like, great, whatever. You know, call my agent. I don't know. So, um, and about six months later, that happened. Hmm. So, anyway, I haven't been with, at Atlantic since. I've done benefits with them. But I haven't acted there since the lights. Until so, just now. Yeah. Yeah. And how did, did this one come about? I mean, you said that certainly Lucy Thurber saw you. Had the Atlantic been trying to get you to come back, or was it um, literally yeah, recently, you were on the roster? Well, recently, uh, Neil, you know, Neil Chexon, Neil Pepe is the artistic director of Atlantic and one of the great guys of the world. And I just love him. And he checks in and... Uh, every now and then says, you know, I are you in the theater mode? What are you doing? And anytime there's been something I could have done, I had another job. Um, so I decided to do, you know, just sort of to, to keep just keep you keep your eyes peeled for me. And they wanted me to audition for the Woody Allen thing. And I was like, no. I'm sorry. I know. Anyway, not that I, I'm not against auditioning because I love, I actually think you should audition, but I don't know. There's something about that whole project that made me. Did you guys see it? Which, which, which one? one? The they've Woody Allen. Oh, he did two? Yeah, they've done a Were couple. Were they great? Really. I don't know. They're interesting pieces. I mean, it's, it's, you know, Woody Allen again. People forget that he was a playwright. Right. Before I've just the whole never, I don't think started. I've just ever been a fan of his. Mm. Isn't that sad? Mm. Well, there now, goes that job. We, we sort of we, we hit a moment a couple of minutes ago. I know he's ago. been dying to work with me. So we hit a moment a couple, a couple of minutes ago where we mm. could have gone in two directions, and we finished talking about the Atlantic. But I'm curious, even before we go on, mm. you were talking about your teaching, and of course, the yeah. experience that you had initially. Uh, was not a felicitous one. It, was it did not, not encourage suit mm. you. So, as a teacher, what is it that you do with your students? I'm so glad you asked that because it honestly is becoming my passion. Teaching, I really, really love it. Like it makes me almost as happy as acting. Um, and I get the students. So Atlantic has the their program at NYU and I get them the year before they graduate. So in other words, they've gotten all the technique mumbo jumbo, which I there's no way I'm gonna ever be that kind of teacher. And basically what I try to do is marry the technique and what they've learned, which, you know, sometimes can be a little robotic da, 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 da. you know, you've seen some mammothy stuff that is kind <laughs> of um it can be a little robotic and I kind of try to take it into the real world and I kind of direct them but my main goal with these students 
is to get them re-excited. Like, I want them to feel after grad, after leaving my class, the same way they felt leaving high school. Like, I can't wait. I love acting, you know? And I think sometimes years of a conservatory can drain it out of you. You know, they're sitting in the back, they're yawning, they have to see the 30th Danny in the Deep Blue Sea, or, you know? (laughs) So I have them, you know, pick any scene they want to do from any movie they can bring in six with six different people or you know just something exciting and getting back their passion hmm. then do you do productions outside of class with them do they do no, I haven't productions? yet I mean I'd like mm-hmm. to sometime to direct okay. yeah but uh, I haven't yet no but I mean within the NYU framework do they do public, oh, they do? public, sure. public performances not just in the classroom uh, no they do public performances uh-huh. but good lord I don't know what I mean mm-hmm. they do at NYU yes they do I think a bunch of the sort of black box shows a mm-hmm. year, mm-hmm. and then they do open to the public. Uh, three or three, I think, huge mm-hmm. one main stage. I think it's called. Do you want to direct? Is that something you can see yourself Obsessive. doing? Obsessive. Yeah, I have to. I actually think it might have to be the next thing I do. Like I have to get it out of my system before I act again. <laughs> just to just to see what it's like to do it, or no, are there particular well, I did it in things college. you'd like to direct? I did it in college. Mm-hmm. No, there is nothing I obsessed with directing. Uh, you know, I I've sort of started to put the word out to like Neil, you know, next year or is there anything, you know, I really think I'd be good. I don't know how great visually. I'm not sure if I how great I could tell that story. You know, there's some I'm great friends with Joe Mantello and the way he tells a story with a lighting cue. It's just mind-blowing and I certainly don't have that expertise. I think that only comes with seeing and being more aware visually when i see a play i'm just into the story and characters and i don't really look at it as a director you know um but in this experience especially this most recent one um because they've been so generous with me lucy thurber and the director jackson gay she you know really the the sort of community of us making this play and me being able to pitch in without anyone getting offended you know sometimes you have to walk carefully you know uh but it turned into sort of these amazing rehearsals of everyone coming forth and i just i just started i don't know just the thrill of sitting in a room rehearsing with actors i think would just make me very happy and I think I know how to tell a story I think I know what needs to be there and what doesn't and what you know how to get at how to get an actor to uh you know to tell a story a little clearer without taking away their soul and well you've certainly story. been there for 20 some odd years you've been you've been acting for 20 exactly. years so now with the passage of time as you've learned these things over your career mm-hmm. do you now look back at shows you've been in in the past and say mm-hmm. Why, I would have directed that differently. Directed it? <laughs> directed no. it differently. If, if you had been able I to I would direct, have acted stuff Or acted differently. it differently. I don't, I don't know, because I'm not, no. Uh, I maybe would have taken out the underwear curtain call in The Women <laughs> to set to She's Unbelievable. Remember that? Did you guys see it? No. It was crazy. It was like this 30s play, da-da-da, everything totally per... And then all of a sudden, for the curtain call, we all came out in, like, panties. It was crazy. Uh, (laughs) But you got to love Scott Elliott. He's a genius. But um, anyway, so uh, that would probably be the only thing I would have adjusted. But I've been so lucky. I mean, Scott Elliott, Jackson Gay, John Crowley... 
who directed The Pillow Man, uh, a million shows at the public, you know, uh, Mark Brokaw. I mean, you know, the list kind of goes on and on. I feel very lucky. I wouldn't have changed anything. Well, but I would have changed my performance in a couple shows for sure. Yeah, I, I'm, there's one quote from another interview you had done. I'm going to read the direct quote. I look at my performance in The Women yeah. as a failure. Uh-huh. Why, why do you say that? Why did you say that then? Well, uh, no, I say it now. I mean, with sort of, I think the the first show I really learned how to act. What I like about acting is Aunt Dan and Lemon. And it sort of happened accidentally where I understood finally it's like a light bulb went off. You marry the character to you. The closer you can bring you, really you, on stage, the more profound it is. And it took me forever to learn that. I thought it was all about, well, is my accent right? And, you know, am I holding my hair? You know, uh, props or other things. It's not. It's about you sitting there. But in a corset, as Beatrice in Much Ado, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So Aunt Anna Lemon was a watershed moment for me of really understanding real acting, I, in my opinion. And the women, I still didn't know how to do that. And I certainly faked it really well. I mean, people come up to me all the time. They're very nice about that performance. Uh, and I loved playing her, but it's boring after a month because you're playing the facade of someone Mm -hmm. now scarcity never gets boring because it's me you know Mm -hmm. and i figured out how to make her me and you really i I gather if i'm putting words into your mouth tell me but like you now you know the character you understand the character whereas in the women you really didn't see but i did i just didn't know how to marry it Uh i so get her that's why i wish i could do it over Uh again because if i could take sylvia fowler but make her me. It might even be something you wouldn't notice the difference in, but I would. Mm-hmm. And I think uh, I would have. I would love to do that part over. Is this the only do-over I really want? Um, yeah, I ended up getting lost in sort of an accent and and uh, and props and hats, and I forgot. You know, where is her heart? Where is her soul? Which I really understood her, I, but I just didn't marry it. Mm. Didn't know. It's startling to me. John saw that quote, as did I, when you talked about the women. I saw another quote where you expressed some disappointment in how you felt Baltimore Waltz at Signature a couple of years ago came off. Mm. Why are you so honest about (laughs) – because it's not – I'm just struck by the fact that, you know, most people will shrug it off and say, oh, that was a fun show to do. Well, no, 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 the Baltimore Waltz Well, not not. Baltimore Waltz, but but I was referring to the women. Let's just be very clear. I don't know what my quote was about Baltimore Mm -hmm. Waltz, but I don't think that was a failure Mm -hmm. at all. Uh, What I did feel about Baltimore Waltz was that at the time there were things going on at the signature – uh, Jim Houghton, I think, is he wasn't the there, director, yep. so there wasn't it wasn't handled correctly. I felt mm-hmm. that the production wasn't, uh, and we felt like sort of the neglected stepchild. Hmm. So I I do have some anger about that because when you do commit and you have somebody like Paula Vogel, and you have Mark Brokaw, and you have me and David Marshall Grant and this uh, other brilliant actor, you know you can't just shrug it off and they let basically my fury lies with the fact that they had a donor and all a donor night which involves alcohol 
And let's mm-hmm. face it, a bunch of old folks, although God love you for doing it. And all the critics came the same night. Mm-hmm. And because there was booze and food and all this other stuff, the show didn't start till nine o'clock. So the critics, I guess, were waiting. And sort of the... After that happened, instead of like what Neil does, of like you know, you know, support. It doesn't matter what mm-hmm. you know. We're doing this for the for the audience. It doesn't matter, you know, who loves did who didn't. They had none of that. We just mm-hmm. felt really lost. Also, it was the the hardest show I've ever the hardest show I've ever done in my life. Well, it's Why? an incredibly personal show to Paula, certainly. It, a it's Paula's brother. It's about Paula's brother. Right. It's the memorial And to him. she, you know, weeping during rehearsals. Mm. And I love this woman. I mean, th- that is a woman. I mean, what an uh, artist, you know? And she, this mattered to her, this production, so much. Mm. So it mattered to me. Uh, I think maybe too much. Like, maybe I got bogged down in her sorrow and forgot that it was a comedy. I don't know, but all I know is I had to wake up every day for four or five months knowing that I was ending my day trying to get my dead brother to dance with me. Mm-hmm. And I, I just was like, get me back to comedies. I can't so, do this. So it was, it was very draining on you, I guess. Oh, yeah. horrifically. Emotionally, it was mm-hmm. Horrible. I mean, it was, I'll never do something like that again. So how would you work yourself up each night to get into that, into the character? Um, I don't know. It's so private. Every uh-huh. show is so different. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, I don't know. I was feeling very lost and alone at that time, too, because I did feel abandoned by the signature. No offense. And they're wonderful people. God, love that, you know, they do a beautiful job. Excuse me. But that at that time, it wasn't really working. And uh, we just felt so, lo- we felt it was the three of us mm-hmm. against the world. The experience of, and this is what's very disconcerting about being in off-Broadway productions, or I'm sure Broadway, is the disconcerting experience of being in a preview process where people are, you can't get a ticket. It is sold out, standing ovations, weeping, and then the day after you open, there are 10 people in the audience. And that says to me that something's wrong. Like, people... You shouldn't invest that much because I know the people were loving it until that night, you know? Well, you've, you've only done one Broadway show. Is that the reason why? Because of... No, 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 no. No, not that. I mean, I'm just saying I'm mostly done off-Broadway, so I can really talk about is off-Broadway in terms of being having the experience of the month of previews being joy, you know, having people, you can't get a ticket, sold out, and then... The day you open, after you open... And the reviews come out. The reviews come out and no one shows up. Mm. And I, I'm i like, wait, so all those people who saw it were crazy? Or, you know, you start to kind of question, like, should you really invest so much into one person's view? One, one critic. Yeah. Mm. I do. I'm taking it on. I'm taking it down. <laughs> well, see, now, you're not going to do any Woody Allen shows anymore. Right. Or- you're not going to do anything for Signature anymore. You're going to get the critics on your case. <laughs> and if Shanley's listening, we've got... Uh- well, I did praise Hilton all. So, hopefully they'll so, so still like me. play, you're all set. <laughs> Let me ask you... You, you, you were asking me the- why I was so honest. <laughs> I was. And, and you and are, you, indeed. you've simply shown us more that you are. But let me ask you, in the years that you were doing Third Rock, 
it seems that you took that hiatus every year and came right back to the stage. And what was, because you'd not mentioned a lot of television experience prior to doing that show, was coming back to the Mm -hmm. stage and going back and forth between television and the stage in that period something, an adjustment for you? Uh, No, it was a lifesaver. I mean, you know, I was in L.A. doing this show and I was overnight famous. And you can't understand that experience until you go through it. It's no human should you just should it's weird it's kooky i had no idea the power of television by the way um and so you know george wolf throwing me a lifeline or peter hedges play baby hanger michael mayer directed that and so so uh, all of a sudden you're like you know your agents are going well there's you know the scooby-doo movie and you're like no i'm going to playwrights horizons and doing the peter hedges play and um it was just never a question for me and then you know, after the show ended, I skedaddled bat right back here. Well, it's it's interesting. You've had the opportunity to do three shows in Central Park, which is I a know. particular venue that that has got to be unique oh. in in how you play there. Yeah. You did Skin of Our Teeth while you were doing the series, and yeah. then subsequently came back and did uh, the Twelfth Night and the Much Ado. Uh, Talk a little about playing in the park. Ah, oh, I mean. Uh, it's just heaven. It's summer camp. Uh, there's a camp feel. Uh, it's helped that the casts of both all those shows were amazing. Um, just fun, cool, young. You know, they hire a lot of kids straight out of Juilliard. So, you know, you just end up just all just together. I don't know. But the most incredible was experience was standing on these stairs. Did you see Much Ado by any chance? And you know, you're outside, and I thought uh, David Espjornson did a beautiful job with that show, and he had it just uh, all this beautiful music. And I'm standing there in the pretty dress with the pretty brown wig, and Jimmy Smith is telling me he worships me. I was like, <laughs> and I'm in the middle of New York City. I was like, I'm sorry, Julia Roberts. I'm sure has a better career, makes more money, but no one can touch this experience. I mean, it really. I really knew in that moment. This is one of those moments you're going to think of when, you know, when you're kicking it. You know, it's one of those moments you keep with you forever. It was, they're just, it's, and I don't know Oscar very well, but George Wolf has been a very important supporter for me. And I'm very grateful that he always wants me to, wanted me to do stuff there. Well, well, for for our audience who may not have been to New York, the the Delacorte is in Central Park and it's outdoors. So the audience sees a background of trees and and skyline and all that. If you come to New York City in the summer, you got to do it. I don't care about the Lion King. No, no, no. You go, the tickets are free, free. and you, I don't know, you got to get up at the crack of dawn or something and get the ticket. I don't know how that all works. You basically stand online and get tickets for that for Yeah, exactly. Yeah, but it's, that's an adventure in itself because you bring a picnic. And of course it could be rained out or you can get rained on. You get rained out (laughs) or rained on. And when I did Skin of Our Teeth, they let me rewrite those, you know, because Sabina has those monologues that Tallulah Bank had apparently while um, Oscar, wait, yeah, no, not Oscar, uh. Who wrote the skin of our teeth? Thornton Wilder. Thornton Wilder. I was going to say Oscar Wilder. And I was like, somehow, just isn't it doesn't work. fitting. <laughs> um, so uh, when he wrote the play, apparently she just, Tallulah Bank had kept freaking out in rehearsals, right? You know, I, I can't play this, and this is terrible, and blah, blah, blah. So he wrote that into the script. So the character of Sabina constantly is 
talking to the audience, you know, about issues she's having with her shoe, the other <laughs> actor. And so I said, you know, we asked his estate if I could do whatever I wanted with those. So I did. So that was really fun because I could just whine about well, the that, weather. That, that, and <laughs> That was giving you good freedom. It was pretty good, yeah. As an actor, that has to that be was fun. a good thing. It was fun because I remember Helen Hunt was doing... Something over at Lincoln the 12th Center, night, twelfth at that night. Point. So I was like, "Oh, that blonde bitch over there at Lincoln <laughs> Center under a roof. She's got an air conditioned dressing room. You know, it was fun." But she had to stick with the script. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But, but I'm curious. You, you that said, crappy script. <laughs> yes, you couldn't talk to the playwright. <laughs> exactly. In either case, you commented that you hadn't anticipated what the instant fame of television meant. So to then, as far as I could tell, your first stage appearance after that coming up is you're in Central Park playing this larger-than-life, obviously-given-freedom character. What was it like to come back as a headliner? Well, it was that was great, uh, but I was still deeply, deeply conflicted about what was happening in my life. I, I really did not take to it, shockingly. I would think, you know, kind of looking at me, I'd be like one of those like, oh, this is fun. Everybody thinks I'm great. Hi. Yeah. No, but no. I get terribly shy. And I remember actually being a like... That like three hundred people would wait at those gates uh, when the where the actors leave at the Delacorte for me. Yeah, it's hard to sneak out of the Delacorte. Well, you can't. It's impossible. But also, they would swarm me. Uh, I mean, because I sort of for five minutes was kind of a the it girl, you know. I mean, like the tabloids thought I, you know, they would follow me around and stuff. So there was just I remember feeling terribly attacked and weird and crazed and. There was a lot of crazy people waiting for me there, um, which has <clears throat> since died down vastly. So that's nice. Now, acting at the Delacorte out in Central Park, wide open spaces, acting in a small theater like Atlantic or mm-hmm. Signature, some of the other off-Broadway mm-hmm. houses, does that influence your acting style yeah, to some degree? definitely. How so? Well, the when you're in a small space, it's so intimate. I mean, I can sort of just talk like this. And if you really know what I'm – you know, if you – I was trying to explain to Meredith, there's an, a, this 11-year-old girl in this show, and they kept telling her louder, 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 and it's not louder at all. Some plays are going to have to be louder, but with Meredith, it's knowing what you're saying. So she'll be asking questions about the teacher in the in the in scarcity, and she'll say things like, "Did she talk about the trip to Colorado? And did she did she say the mountains were high? And did she get altitude sickness? You know, she, she has these questions, but she didn't." understand the importance of the questions like but did you did you talk to her did did she did she did she say the mountains were high you know like Mm -hmm. not as stupid as that but i mean Mm -hmm. understanding like why are you asking something and what do you need and they kept saying louder 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 and she was just you know starting to yell and this is a good actor well was it a case of louder or projection it's It's a a case of clarity Uh uh-huh clarity Uh uh-huh I whisper in this play, mm-hmm. and everyone knows what I. No one has ever, ever said I didn't know what you said in that moment. You know everything I'm saying because I know what I need. And so she, look, the minute she learned that, it's been amazing. 
Mm. It's incredible. She now really is like talking and trying to get stuff. It's not, oh, la, 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 you know, let me, let me just talk louder. It must be interesting for you from the teacher side of you that, that, you know, uh, it's been a aspect. very nurturing relationship, me and her, because also it's a very abusive relationship on stage. So mm. we had to become very, you know, we had to trust each other. And she's 11. Had you worked with 11 year olds before and other? Uh, well, other I worked Joey Gordon Levitt, who's now the new hot actor of the world, was my little brother on Third Rock. Mm. Uh, and he was 13. Uh, and he and I became great friends. I think I'm very good with younger kids. I don't know why that is. But, um, and Meredith and I, well, we all, you know, get along great. But, um, she's just great because, you know, she has that sense of humor where you can go, oh, you're so cute. All right, now get out, you know, and she doesn't get hurt. She's not too <laughs> sensitive. So, as we're going through this conversation, we're talking about everything from everyone from Howard Quarter to David Mann to Lucy Thurber. <laughs> oh, my God. But I want to ask. So how did you approach Shakespeare? Just the same. Really? Just yeah. slipped right into it? No, you... No, I. what I mean is just the same as you... No, you don't mm -hmm. slip the right language. into Shakespeare. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's certainly a, a different thing, but mm -hmm. it's thrilling because it's every single word and every line you say you're getting something from someone there is really very i mean he has characters that are exposition characters but uh the pl parts i have happened to play have not had a lot of fat uh you know they've been very uh leanly written characters mm. i thought um I discovered, you know, because I've only done two, and I did Mariah in Twelfth Night, The Maid, uh, just to try Shakespeare, and kind of loved it. Hmm. Uh, just loved it and realized it was easier than everyone thinks it is. Hmm. Really? Yes. Why, why, why is it easier? Well, because it's, what do you want? Stand on stage and be honest and try to get it, right? Mm. You know? Hmm. Uh, I just don't think it's math. All the, oh, well, we go up on this line and down. No. No English act. I mean, the English actors know how to do it in a way that we don't because it's, you know, they're in their genes. But I think American actors make fascinating Shakespeare actors. And I think they find things. And actually, Sam Mendes and I actually had a conversation because he saw Twelfth Night right before he directed it at BAM. And. He said, you know, American actors can really find things in it that English actors can't, and obviously vice versa. But I don't know. It's hard to explain. It's like uh, just making a woman real who, you know, lived in 1740, but making the audience go with her and not have that separation of, ooh, she's playing a fancy Shakespeare lady that... I don't know, making it real. But, that was exciting to me. But how about the language? Because it's written in a I, different manner of speech than what we use currently. Right. So well, is, is I that, don't is know. That an I, I think if you gave me Italian, and uh -huh. I didn't know uh, Italian fluently, but phonetically you really sat with me, mm -hmm. and I knew what each sentence meant, I'd be fine. I mean, I think it's really the same thing. 
so it's a combination of understanding the character and who she is, but also getting into the cadence of the language. No, I, ju- I think it's actually just memorizing your lines. Just remembering them. <laughs> well, no, you always remember Shakespeare. You uh-huh. very rarely go up on Shakespeare because it's all, you know, it's all meant. It's like a puzzle box uh-huh. and every line, you know. I've worked with some actors who've gone up on Shakespeare, but I don't know. I've uh, you just of course you can't forget that line because it comes immediately after the bell rings. And I mean, you know, there's always reasons to say stuff. Um, I don't know. I uh, I think it's uh, I'll have to keep working at it and let you know. But I have found it very fun so far. Well, from Americans playing Shakespeare, I want to ask you about Americans performing on stage in England because you had occasion last mm-hmm. year to go over and do the play Love Song. Yeah. A small cast of four, three yes. of whom were American, but what was the experience of working on the English stage? Let me tell you something. They know how to get young people into theater. And that's what we in New York need to figure out. Hmm. We need to figure out how to do it. There were, and I don't mean like high school kids, I mean young urban People filled the theater that I was in. I'm sure it didn't hurt that lo- you know it, you know Killian Murphy was in it, who's this really gorgeous Irish actor that everybody loves. Um, but it was also sold as kind of a brash new weird show from America. And Sonia Friedman, who produced it, who's just this whirlwind in England. Amazing. She just brought rock and roll over. But she's a brilliant producer. But they got young people. And so every single night, every night, not one show, every night was like doing a rock concert. Well, is it that the British children grow up watching the BBC? Maybe. American children grow up watching MTV. Is, is, is there a difference in our cultures Maybe. that the kids would be more no, receptive to No, I think also that they're they don't know how to get tickets. I think there's a huge group of right now young urban, you know, artists, painters, people who go to FIT, whatever, in New York right now that probably would love to see a play, but it's either too expensive or they just don't know how to do it. Is there a young... I think they maybe give great deals if you go to any college in London. You can get like a half price ticket or something. And they, we really need to start looking at it, not just to like make more money or get the, but to get that energy, the youth energy. It was phenomenal. It was the best audience experience I've ever had. Hmm. Would the same show have the same reaction with young people in this country, do you think? Yeah, I mean, yes, I think young people, okay, yes. Or, or is it that this country they're more accustomed no, to, to the uh, Lion King or something like that? We did two shows yesterday. Okay, this uh-huh. is interesting, and this brings it right back. One p.m. We had a special show for high school kids mm-hmm. at one o'clock. At eight o'clock, we had a show for the regular audience. And now, God love the regular audience. We couldn't do it without them, but we want them also. As a regular audience member, you don't want everyone the same age from the same you know backgrounds. You want oh, this young kid was sitting next to me, and then this grandpa was next. This yesterday morning at one, yesterday early afternoon, this show, these kids—they were inner city kids. Three hundred of them were dynamite. I mean, loud, and definitely talked back and like, (laughs) oh no, don't do that. (laughs) But you could hear a pin drop at the 
important stuff. Mm-hmm. Really listening. Uh, it was thrilling, and the, just the greatest. They lo- they really really loved it. And how did that so affect- bring them to us. Bring kids to us. That's just key. Atlantic does this great thing where they reach out to schools. And and how did that affect your performance? Oh, my God. Well, it's a blast. Uh It's a blast because you hear new things and doing it for young people who maybe can really relate to the struggle instead of people like us who, you know, have been very privileged Mm -hmm. and maybe don't know uh, how it is to grow up the way these people are growing up. But they related so much to the two kids. Mm -hmm. Um they were very angry at the teacher, which mm-hmm. if you see scarcity, you'll know what I, why I mean. Mm-hmm. It's a very ambiguous kind of part. And uh, it was thrilling, though. And I just thought, oh, no. So it doesn't matter. It's not America. It's not in London. It's just get young people into theater. I'm going to start doing something about it. Since I'm not going to be working with with Woody Allen anytime soon, <laughs> we should point out the Atlantic Theater Company is the same people that brought us Spring Awakening, which yes. draws some young people to see and that the show Queen for sure. Of Lanan. And right. yes, they yes, of course they do have young people for that show. You're right, but just I want it more on a regular basis. I want to figure out how to do it. Well, since you're not going to be working with Woody Allen in the near future, at least, <laughs> what what do you want to do after the run of this show, which runs through the 21st of October, by the way? Uh, I love just where it's been going. I, you know, movie. I love. I I definitely want to direct a play. That is huge. That's not going to happen next because that's a development process. But that will happen within the next two years, and maybe you'll have me back on for that. Absolutely. Um, <laughs> and. Uh, but my next thing, you know, reading script. I love popping into L.A. for a week and playing a wacky part in a movie and taking the money and run. Or, you know, I, I'll do anything as long as it's good writing and a cool character. I mean, I was on ER. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, well, just, to, just to figure out what it was like to do all that medical lingo. And let me tell you, it's not fun. <laughs> Since you bring up a cool writing and a cool character, is anything in particular that you look for any particular role? We know what you don't look for, the Woody Allen types. Anything, uh, anything that you do look for. All right. For. We got to stop that. Uh, enough, um, Woody. God, some uh, New Yorkers are going to kill me. Um, I just look for good writing. And I look uh, uh, if I'm doing a play, I look for something challenging. You know, if it's like a body gal who sort of, you know, I, I just there if there are parts that I know I could do with my eyes closed uh, and I don't do those. I do things that scare me and they all end up turning into a body woman <laughs> with blonde hair. I don't know how that happens. <laughs> well, you said it's about bringing yourself closer. I have to comment. You were talking about really finding it with Aunt Dan and Lemon. And of yeah. course, when you're playing a role originated by Linda Hunt, yeah. clearly you have to find a way of making it your own. Yeah. You probably yeah. don't go up for a lot of the same roles. No, I never have. <laughs> never have. Um, yeah, you just, that doesn't, I don't think about the other person. You know, I didn't see it. So I've done, you know, Cherry Jones is a hard act to follow. She did originated Baltimore Waltz. That wasn't easy. Um, Tallulah Bankheads, pretty big shoes, you know, so you can't think about those. You just make it yours. Well, Kristen, again, the the show uh, Scarcity runs through the 21st of this month at uh, The Atlantic. Thanks so much for being with us today. Thank you so much for having me. You guys are wonderful, so thank you. This one, thank you. Really appreciate it. Thanks, Kristen. For the American Theater Wing, I'm Howard Sherman, reminding our listeners that these programs and all of the educational and media work of the American Theater Wing is available online, on demand, for free, from our website, www.americantheaterwing.org. And for Downstage Center, I'm John Von Susten, and that is a wrap, and thank you.
The American Theatre Wing encourages all of our podcast fans to share our programs with friends and colleagues, but we remind you that any commercial distribution, commercial use of our programs, or program modification is prohibited without our express permission. We appreciate your cooperation and invite you to contact us with any questions. Thanks for listening.